You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, all, and welcome to Inside Healthcare, your biweekly look into and through the healthcare world. I'm your host, NCQA's Communications Director, Matt Brock. Lots to cover this time around from two experts who simply want to get healthcare workers and leaders to communicate more clearly. After all, isn't that what it's all about? That's followed by our Matt's Facts segment. Then a reminder about our amazing four-day in-person Health Innovation Summit. So stick around for the details about that. It'll be worth your time. But first, on Inside Healthcare, we bring you discussions with experts from all walks of the healthcare life. But sometimes we get away from talking about specific medical conditions or treatments. In this episode, we get down to brass tacks. As we talk about the many crossroads of healthcare in America, we often overlook the basic conflicts in simple communication between healthcare facilities. As patients journey from primary doctors to specialists, sometimes from one hospital system to another, all the caregivers have to keep track of what the other ones have already examined, diagnosed, prescribed, and ordered. That's a lot of data floating around out there. Turns out the further development of technology and software is a big help, but it's not the answer to everything. In the end, we need to get healthcare folks communicating with one another efficiently and effectively. And the word we're looking for here is interoperability. Today in Inside Healthcare, we bring you Danny Kaywood, a product manager who oversees the product development for MCG Health's interoperability solutions, connecting payers and providers for authorization processes. MCG Health uses evidence to create guidelines and software that together help clinicians make better decisions in their patient care. They help doctors track their patients all the way through their healthcare journey. Danny Kaywood joined us here to tell us exactly what's wrong with healthcare today and maybe how to solve it. I've got a friend who I, I have their story here, um, but they walked in um, to their doctor's office. They had hip pain and they didn't know kind of what that care path and what all of the different touch points were going to be all of those different providers that they were going to have to see um, and all of the different data that they would need as a patient to tote around because the the providers and the payers are unable to speak to each other. His care team was unable to communicate because they had different methods of communication and they all use a slightly different language in which to do so. And so there was a lot of back and forth that my friend who actually happened to work for a health plan. So he knew some of the ins and outs. If he didn't, he would have been in big trouble from a bill, getting a bill later down the road because of that lack of interoperability. And, and, and that's really part of the problem too, is that we ask patients a great deal to advocate for themselves, but they don't always know how to advocate in the case of your friend who's had a hip problem, doesn't know if it's arthritis or he injured it in some way. And even if he did, has no clue how to treat that. And so we say advocate for yourself, but we don't always know what that means. And so I think interoperability um, likely uh, it should be designed to assist the patient to take that burden sort of away from them. That is the goal, right? 
it is. It. And it's also, it's part of the goal. And I think the other thing is, is that patients might not even always know when they need to advocate for themselves. Where right. might there be a breakdown that's caused by this lack of interoperability? So for example, in this, in my friend's situation, he had a surgery scheduled for three months out and he got a prior authorization for that surgery that had a date three months out. And then a month out or, you know, a month later, so two months early, he got a call and said, hey, a waitlist spot opened up. Would you like to come in and do this a month early? He's like, that's great. I can solve my problem earlier. I can get myself on the road to recovery sooner. Uh, but that authorization would not have worked. And so he, because he worked for a health plan, he knew that he had to advocate for himself and get that authorization redone with new dates. But many patients wouldn't know that. They didn't have that insight knowledge. And so in his particular situation, not having the knowledge because he has no tool in his hands to say, here's the dates for which this authorization was active for. Um, he can't receive it because he doesn't have a fax machine anymore because it's 2022 and who has one of those? And there's no app that he can download on his phone. There's no provider printout that they're mailing out that says any of that information. So only because he worked for the health plan that happened to carry his insurance uh, did he know that he had to go do that? So many patients would never know. And that's also part of it is let them know that they need to advocate for themselves, then give them the tools to do so, and hopefully make it a lot easier and maybe have computers work for patients and clinicians as opposed to clinicians and patients working for computers. Well, perhaps, Danny, you can explain to us why people are holding, why healthcare is holding on to fax machines in this the year 2022, you know, we, we have electric cars that drive themselves. Now we can't, uh, communicate electronically, you know, via, you know, via internet. And we do for everything else. Jeez, we turn our lights on with the internet now. Right. right. So we're still in this world and beyond that, the t- systems talking to each other. So you go to one doctor, uh, we'll say here in town in Washington, you go to one MedStar doctor. Mm-hmm. Well, then if you go to an Anova doctor as your specialist, the two may not be able to communicate without those faxes because they're on different EHR systems, correct? And so there, why haven't we fixed this? Yeah, it's... it's um... It's instructive to look at other industries, so looking outside healthcare and then bringing it back in, but to look at other industries who used to use fax machines and now no longer do. So maybe look at something like sh- shipping and receiving. Think of something that we used to do via mail order catalog. Now we you go and order something online, right? You have a similar problem that you just described, Matt, but in a different sort of world where you get your estimated delivery dates, you get delivery updates, you get the correct quantities of whatever you order, the correct SKU, even though a vendor, um, the supplier, a warehouse, and maybe one to many different shipping companies, I know this is an uh, audio program, I'm counting on my fingers, there's four different companies at least that touch that transaction, yet you always get it exactly how you want it. Um, They've solved that problem the same way that healthcare probably needs to solve that problem by standardizing the data. So all deciding that this is the language we are all going to speak to each other. Um, That was the big key for them. And I think that's why we are still in healthcare holding on to faxes is those different 
providers and health insurance plans don't all agree on what language we are going to use to talk about something. And even from a patient perspective, you can see this with consumer facing products. So if you look at something like the Apple Watch versus the Fitbit, objectively, they do something quite similar. They count your steps. If you're in your family and half of your family has an Apple Watch and the other half has a Fitbit and you want to do some gamification about who can get the most steps, that's not possible right now, right? Apple, not just do they not all pool their data into the same place, but they're not the same unit of measure. Apple would call it a stride. Fitbit would call it a step. That's a, that's a consumer product-facing example of what we see with these different EHRs, with these different um, EHRs over to the payers version on the, on the care management platform side. That's a similar thing that we see where um, beats per minute on a heart rate in one system might be, or actually let's talk about respiratory, right? So breaths per minute as opposed to respiratory rate. Um, that might be called that those two things in two different systems. And so how do you match those up? That's our job as we think about standardizing the data, just like other industries have done, is let's all agree to call this the, all the same thing so that we all can start to talk to each other and, and communicate that back and forth. So I hear a lot of people, you know, I've heard interoperability discussions, obviously, mm -hmm. at NCQA. We talk about this, but uh, and we're working on it. And we propose, obviously, that the language that is agreed upon is essentially quality measurement, some of the things that we've already agreed upon. Um, and I'm sure there will be, you know, some debatable things like like the difference between the Apple Watch and the Fitbit. I, I think that's a perfect example, Danny. Um, so who makes the final decision? How do we stir it and get everybody on the same page? Is that what we're doing right now is we're just working to get everybody on the same page? Do we have holdouts? What do we need to do? We have um, we have good. So there's good momentum right now. And it's co it's coming from a few different places um, for making this change and everybody getting on the same page, I think. The obvious ones that we are seeing are the big industry work groups where you're seeing competitors all step in together. So the EHR vendors who all compete with each other are part of this. The payer portal vendors who all compete with each other are part of these work groups all together. Even the health plans and the providers who sometimes compete with each other are all part of these work groups mm -hmm. coming together to say, we disagree on a lot of things as competitors but let's decide on this subset of things that we can agree on. And hopefully it's this language that we can use to exchange information back and forth. So that's one of the drivers. And um, that's worth, that's certainly worth applauding. At least they're all meeting, right? Yes. <laughs> they're, they're all meeting and they're all um, wrestling through some of these different issues and they are true. They are, they are true issues, right? A, um, but there, I, position. I, guess, Danny, I guess what I'm asking is, is um, yeah. there is no body that will make this decision for us, like CMS will not make this decision for us, it looks like. So it is going to have to be a sort of cooperative group agreement. We have seen some indication that the government is prepared to potentially make this decision for us if these work groups can all come to some sort of an agreement on the language that we want to use to do this. So um, CMS at the end of 2020 released a proposed rule that actually would have mandated that certain health plans 
all step in and do this. And the office of the national coordinator who regulates the provider EHR side has given some uh, signs that they are going to step in and do that side as well in conjunction with CMS. Uh, so we are, we do, we are seeing some indications and we are expecting more clarity on that by the by later this year. Um, whether the federal government is going to step in and make this decision and to what extent they are going to uh, get into the details about exactly what needs to be done here, as opposed to thematically asking the industry to do something for certification and then let the work groups continue to run on nailing down the nitty gritty details. So we'll get more clarity on that later this year. So there are there's movement on this, and that's what you were talking about. We have a little a little movement, a little momentum that may help. And it seems to me that it would behoove these companies. We know there's some big EHR companies who are involved in this. Um, it seems to me it would behoove them and you for them to make for them to make an agreement before the government gets involved because you're going to have less say there, right? Right. And um, in theory, yes, there's that. But there's also the idea as soon as the government makes a mandate, everybody starts to think of it as a cost. There's a cost to compliance. But really solving some of these problems has the potential to save health plans, to save providers a lot of money. This is truly, you know, from MCG's perspective, this is more of an investment than this is a cost that your organization needs to incur for compliance. There is a lot of savings um, Where? There's a lot explain. of savings. Where? Explain that to me. Yeah. So if you think about the situation where I'm a provider, I'm going to spend 15 to 30 minutes putting together an authorization request that I then fax over to the payer. The payer is going to spend 15 to 20 minutes per authorization actually entering that data into their systems from that non-discrete you know, fax or e-fax version into their system, then a clinician is actually going to sit down and review that authorization for 15 to 30 minutes per authorization. If you're able to actually electronically communicate that, not only do you start to decrease the amount of time that admin people spend putting together these authorization requests and making sure the data gets to the right place, that all can go away completely. But you also can start to shorten the amount of time that the clinicians are spending uh, going through some of these clerical tasks and allow them to focus more on the medical review and maybe at some point focus more on the actual outcomes and the quality of care that's coming in, which I know is important to everyone in the industry, especially in CQA. Well, absolutely. And, and one of the things we really want to be clear about as we work on this and as we add measurement and we really try and get, for us, interoperability brings so much opportunity in terms of quality improvement and real measurement and comparing apples to apples. It's uh, astounding um, to me uh, as to what it could do for quality uh, across the board Absolutely. and provide real-time data. You know, uh, we're waiting a year, two years in some cases to see, you know, the data and then to make decisions. And we all know post-pandemic, conditions can change pretty quickly. <laughs> so, Absolutely. So you, um, it would be good to know that stuff real-time so that you can respond in real-time instead of two years later. 
Well, and if you look at those industry work groups, Matt, it's a great point. If you look at those industry work groups that we that I was talking about a little bit earlier, one of them is CAQH Core. Um, one of them is uh, the HL7 Da Vinci work group that's uh, incorporated under HL7 International. If you look at the original charters for those groups, it was not to go out and do some fancy techie things to standardize data and do this communication. Their express charter, the reason that they've all joined these groups is we want to find a way to automate some of the administrative tasks using things like interoperability so that there was always a so that. That was the the task we are going to do, but the outcome that we are looking for is freeing up clinicians' time to focus more on value-based care and focusing on outcomes. For both of them, you'll see that in some of their original documentation. And I know for the DaVinci Workgroup, at least, you'll still see that as front and center on their website. We're not here for data standardization. We're here for value-based care and making sure that we can free clinicians from doing some of these clerical tasks so that they can use their expertise on higher value uh, tasks. Well, for, for civilians, people who don't work in healthcare, yeah. but civilians, the way you recognize this burden on your physician is when you go to a, an appointment and he looks at the computer more than he looks at you or she looks at the computer more than she looks at you. And that's something we at NCQA have advocated strongly for in this overhaul. Uh, along with the Da Vinci Group and others, um, is is to reduce that burden, to take that physician's head out of the the PC and put him exactly where you said, concentrating on patient. So uh, we like to hear that. So what should we be paying attention to as we close this interview? What should we be uh, paying attention to in the next few months? And where should we be looking to see um, developments on interoperability. You said CMS may come out with something later this year. What else? Yeah, so keep an eye on government regulations um, as it relates to uh, specifically, so we've seen it last year when CMS required that health plans make certain data available directly to patients. Um, the next set of changes we are looking to see is that they will mandate that the health plans uh, likely be required to comply with some of these interoperability data standards by a certain date. So that will be a big domino that falls in this space. So keep an eye on those. And then obviously once CMS moves, expect the ONC to move soon after on the provider and the EHR set. Um, that's one big domino to look at. The other one though, is just looking at, you'll see in the news, um, whether you are working in the healthcare industry or not, you're seeing the news, the shortage of clinicians that we have. We are, right. the United States is quickly running out of clinicians to do this type of work and all the other type of work that they do. And so there are real industry pressures right now. So keep an eye on that as well. Where do clinicians get pulled from when we need more of them to focus on patient care? This is one place where the recent COVID-19 pandemic really illustrated for us directly and clearly is that a lot of clinicians stepped out of these back office tasks and stepped into direct patient care. Um, and there was nobody doing this type of work for a little while. And now as they come back, there's organizations that are realizing that they're not prepared for this shortage and 
um, that, like I said, there's this is really more of an investment. So going this way for any organization, whether you're a provider, whether you're a health plan, this is an investment in making sure that you can scale your business um, without adding more people to it, especially in the scenarios where there's not more people to add um, and really help your clinicians focus on what really matters, which is patient care. That's Danny Kaywood, Product Manager for Interoperability Solutions for MCG Health. Time for the inside scoop at NCQA. We talked with NCQA's Director for State Affairs, Paige Cook. She's been at NCQA more than 10 years and worked in customer engagement and business development. Paige also holds degrees in journalism and healthcare communications. She's joined us to tell us what the state affairs team is up to and what we have to look forward to. Paige, I understand you all are headed out to Seattle for a big event out there. Tell us about that. Yes, we're very excited. We're headed out to Seattle for the National Academy for State Health Policy's annual event. It's an exciting opportunity to join hundreds of leaders from all 50 states and D.C., of course, bringing attention to some of the most important topics in healthcare right now, um, everything related to uh, health insurance marketplaces, telehealth, social determinants of health, behavioral health, and more. So it's an opportunity for us to really get a chance to uh, um, to hear up front and center what's happening um, uh, at the, in, in the states and how we can best serve as a resource to support them in their efforts to actually advance their quality initiatives. And I imagine this is a wonderful opportunity for our state's team to step in and say, we have some solutions for you. Exactly. Tell me about that. Exactly. Uh, our role is really to serve as a resource to states. Uh, we are a part of a larger public policy team. We have an amazing federal affairs team that works very closely with key stakeholders such as CMS and the ONC. And our role is to really serve as a liaison between uh, states and NCQA to help them leverage and better understand how NCQA quality solutions can help them meet their uh, state quality strategies. And as understanding every state is a bit different, they have federal regulations they all have to follow, but in terms of the how they get there is where you see variances. So understanding how states can leverage our health equity accreditation uh, program, which is designed to help provide a roadmap on how to advance data collection and reporting processes to support those uh, uh, communities, um, BIPOC communities, and ensure there is equitable care being delivered across um, um, all populations, and ensuring that also um, as these bridges are being built between uh, clinical care settings and the community, that there are um, uh, there's a way in which. Uh, states can leverage our standards and guidelines to better integrate care uh, between uh, clinical care settings and the community, which is what our HEA plus standards are really focused on and, and trying to solve that uh, solve challenges in that area. So yes, um, our role uh, is constantly uh, evolving. <laughs> Um, and, you know, working with state Medicaid agencies, we also are, are 
uh, staying very close with the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, so from departments of insurance as well, uh, you know, whether we're working with states on their exchanges that are adopting health plan accreditation and our multicultural, which formerly was multicultural healthcare and now HEA, we want to make sure that states are armed and prepared uh, with solutions that will help them uh, more effectively manage, monitor, and most importantly, improve the health of the consumers they serve. And, and what's great is this hasn't been a hard sell, sell in some cases. Uh, some, you have some uptakes from some states, so it's time to take a, a victory lap. Tell us about who's in. So who's in now? It's interesting to say that because of the fact that we have a number of amazing state partners um, that work uh, that we work and support with in a number of different ways. But just to give you some um, up to date numbers, uh, 42 states currently do require or deem NCQA's health plan accreditation. We're extremely proud of the great work states are doing in order to advance their quality strategies and greatly appreciate uh, the use of NCQA quality standards to help them achieve that goal. Uh, In terms of our long-term services and support, Supports requirements. We are extremely excited about the fact there are 11 states that leverage uh, those standards to support their MLTSS or MLTC quality contract requirements. Six states currently have adopted uh, multicultural healthcare uh, distinction, now health equity accreditation requirements. We're extremely excited about that. We just closed out our HEA plus public comment, uh, excuse me, HEA 2023 public comment on July 20, uh, 22nd and hope that uh, all of our stakeholders were able to weigh in on some of the updates to um, these very important requirements to advance health equity. The health equity accreditation, which really is designed to provide a roadmap for uh, states, uh, plans, health systems, uh, case management organizations to really be able to have a framework of how they can collect race, ethnicity, language, um, and and work on their glide path to collecting important data around uh, sexual orientation and gender identity in order to better understand the the members that you're and patients being served and to be able to identify any gaps in services and and disparities in care that uh, definitely as I've mentioned earlier, have been revealed through the pandemic. So this provides a framework to be able to not only just collect the data, but also analyze the data and develop interventions to be able to close gaps to ensure those that need care most are getting it. We're extremely excited for all of the states that are in and California. I'm just going to give a special shout out because they're the first state to actually adopt uh, our health equity requirements, not just um, from Medicaid, but also uh, for their exchange plans and their commercial plans. So lots of exciting um, work being done across the country. And our uh, state affairs team is working very hard to uh, serve as an ongoing resource uh, to advance those efforts. So extremely proud and uh, excited to move things forward. And if we're going to wrap up, but if you're not headed to Seattle, there is another opportunity to uh, get some face-to-face time with our uh, state policy team. And it's a great team. Shameless plug, but it is the uh, Health Innovation Summit presented by none other than NCQA this Halloween. 
Yes, the Health Innovation Summit is going to be a wonderful opportunity to finally have an opportunity to network in person and be able to cover a wide array of critical topics impacting healthcare today uh, from a quality perspective. And the State Affairs team will be there live and in color, along with our federal uh, affairs team members, to be able to serve as a resource to address questions and to be able to really uh, get to some of those more personal conversations that aren't as easy to have sometimes in these virtual virtual settings. So we're very excited uh, to have the opportunity to meet with our stakeholders and very, very key partners in improving the quality of healthcare at the Health Innovation Summit. So we're excited. That's Paige Cook, State Affairs Director here at NCQA. And now time for some of Matt's facts, some numbers for you to bounce around and see what you think about them. Our interviews this week, like so many we've done here, tend to focus on the individual patient, the caregiver, the doctor or nurse, or a community health worker. But we often lose focus on the scale and complexity of U.S. healthcare. So just so we understand what we mean when we say hospitals do this and that, here's some straightforward stats for you on how many hospitals we're talking about. The AHA, the American Hospital Association at AHA.org, has these stats they compiled from a survey in 2020. As of 2020, the United States had 6,093 total hospitals, most of them over 5,100 of them, that is, were community hospitals. Of the non-government hospitals, 2,960 were not-for-profit, while 1,228 are investor-owned for-profit hospitals. In those stats, about 35% were rural community hospitals. A bit more detail in those 5,100 community hospitals. Those beds in total for that period held more than 31 million patients. There's more granularity in their report when it comes to intensive cares, so feel free to check it out. Oh, okay, one more. The total expenses in 2020 for all American hospitals was more than $1.2 trillion. So grab an extra jello while you can. <laughs> All right, now looking forward, the Health Innovation Summit. It sounds big because it is big. This fall, NCQA premieres this live in person conference covering the latest and greatest in healthcare. From Halloween through November 3rd, the four day conference will have speakers, seminars, networking events, and a convention floor you won't believe. You and your company will have tons of opportunities to meet and greet, participate, and get your message out as well as learn an awful lot. Want to be a speaker, a sponsor, or just a participant? Run, don't walk, to www.ncqasummit.com. That's www.ncqasummit.com. You should sign up today. Uh, tickets are already selling. Every episode of Inside Healthcare includes a segment where we invite you to mail us your thoughts, ideas, and you know, suggestions for the show. And this is it. Nothing comes to mind right now. Well, here's a question you might want to think about. Of all the healthcare providers in the workflow of a patient's journey, who should be the hub, the quarterback, the overall coordinator of care? Should it be your primary care physician, home caregiver, hospital head nurse? No, don't just shake your head. 
find something to say, type it out and send it to us. As always, if you have ideas for guests for the bi-weekly show, give us a holler. We're here for you. And uh, we're always open to new folks and new concepts in improving healthcare. That's all for this show, episode 85 of NCQA's Inside Healthcare podcast, number 85. That means there's a lot more to go back and listen through if you have not yet. And spread the word to your friends. For producer writer Dave Smolar and everyone that sits on the award-winning communications team at NCQA, I'm Matt Brock. Thanks for staying with us. Keep well. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast.